behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we are here with episode 74. Casey, what do you have for us? All right, episode 74, leave him wanting more. Meow. (laughs) All right, I like that. And this is a nice little foreplay into what our show is going to be about today. And before we get started with anything, let's get our review of the day to get my big dick energy working over here. And I get very excited as soon as I hear these. So let's hear it, Case. All right. This one is actually coming in from Instagram. I decided to mix it up today. It's from um, Goral495. She says, hi, I just wanted to let you guys know how much I love you guys. I literally listen to podcasts or two a day driving. Oh my God, two of us a day? That is a lot. Thank you for teaching me things my professors didn't. I sit for my exam next year and you guys have made things so much easier. Love you guys. Heart. Well, come join us for your study journey at The Collective at Study Notes AVA. Love you. Mean it. Thank you. And I hope your professors don't hear this. (laughs) Just kidding. Tell them to listen. We love any listeners. (laughs) All right. So for today, we have an exciting guest. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to benefit from hearing what we are going to talk about. You know, I always try to build up this excitement and then Casey's going to tell you what it's all about. We'll be talking about topics, behavioral concepts of MOs, pairing, reinforcement, punishment, and whatever the hell else we want to add in there. I'm sure just because it's relationships, there will be some intermittent reinforcement. I'm just guessing. But Casey, tell us about our guest today. So I am so excited for today's guest, um, Jonathan Asley. He is known as America's leading midlife dating and relationship coach. Um, He's also a defender and protector of women's hearts around the world, Melt. Um, He helps women transform from attracting Mr. Wrong into finding Mr. Right. He's a successful entrepreneur, coach, speaker, and author of Unlocking the Male Mind, Finding Love Online, why men pull away and three ways to keep him close. Jonathan is like a guy spy to the male mind who truly understands the way a single or divorced man thinks and acts. He's a master at helping women recognize and distinguish the difference between men who are emotionally av- unavailable from those who are truly ready for love. He's so much more, but welcome to the show, Jonathan. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. After listening to that, I'm like, oh, do I really do all that? <laughs> <laughs> well, according to your website, you do, because that's where I stole it from. So. Well, I need to update it with my new bio, so I'm just looking, but that's okay. That was a prompt for you to go update your new, yeah, exactly. your new bio. Um, so let's get into a little bit about who you are. Tell our listeners, you know, how did you get started in all this? What lights you up? Um, a little broad well, you questions. You, you were talking about the topics today. What was it? Punishment and... All this stuff, and I was like, my head was spinning for a second. So I'm dying <laughs> to hear all this. Uh, Don't worry, we'll take care of that part. You yeah. just do you. But um, so I, I'm a dating and relationship coach. I most I work with women mostly. Um, and where this was birthed was after going through a divorce, after turning 40 and going through a divorce uh, in 2005, I found myself back out in the dating realm. And I thought, and there was this thing called internet dating, which didn't exist in the 90s. Um, and I thought you could just magically punch in, and you know, so, someone would magically appear. All you had to do is punch in your criteria. And I, um, 
I met a woman, I, you know, never forget my first internet date. I met a great woman, great date, but something wasn't right. And then a few days later, I meet another woman, nice woman, great date, something wasn't right. And this was happening over and over again. And in one year, I had a hundred internet dates. And you I realized, were busy. I know. And I realized what wasn't right was me. And the movie, The Secret came out, um, and I watched it and I go, oh my God, this resonates with me. And it, it got me back into personal development. Here's the thing though. I was addicted to talking to women. I was, I was online talking to women all the time. I, sometimes I had five instant chats going at the same time, back when you could do that with Yahoo personals. <laughs> um, why I share this is I wasn't dating. I was actually just talking to women because I was fascinated hearing them share their experiences in dating and relationships. And most of the women, I was just creating friendships and they would reach out to me and say, hey, Jonathan, you know, I know we're not dating, but, and by the way, this is women all over the country. And they go, will you check out my profile and help me make it better? You know, so then I would give them advice on their profile, change your pictures, write this, do this. And then they would call me up three weeks later, oh my God, I met this great guy. Will you check out his profile and tell me what you think from a guy's perspective? And then the light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, wow, I've got a knack for this. And literally within a year, my coaching practice was birthed. And since then I have over 20,000 hours coaching women. I have over 3,000 hours of personal development, which includes the Hoffman process, insight. I mean, I've done so much work on myself and helping women attract the love of their lives. That's kind of the short version of it. Wait, so I got to ask you a question of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is amazing and this is how things are built. That's exactly how Study Notes yeah. is built. I accidentally was doing something online. But did you ever find someone for yourself along the way? So great question. So uh, in 2010, well, 2011, actually, I met a fantastic woman, actually a therapist. Uh, <laughs> and we went on a six-year journey. Um, and I say six-year journey where there was kind of on again, off again. Uh, great relationship, but we weren't really suited for partnership. But I got a PhD in personal development and therapy being with her. And I healed a lot of my own stuff in this relationship. I followed a pattern. I basically chose my mother. Uh, she <laughs> chose, <laughs> I don't know who she chose, either her father and her mother, maybe not. Um, so I was following my imago, which you guys would know about, and I'm sure your listeners know about. And once I healed that part of me, it was time to move on. <laughs> That's amazing. They uh, say some people are for a reason, a season, or a, a lifetime. Yeah. Or a lifetime. Well, That's the third reason. And by the way, we are we had a beautiful conscious uncoupling. In fact, uh, if you're familiar with the book Catherine Woodward Thomas wrote called Conscious Uncoupling, my girlfriend, uh, my ex-girlfriend and I are in the book. Uh, we still wow. have remained. We don't tr treat each other as friends. We see each other as family. So while we weren't right for each other in relationship, we have chose to be family one another. In fact, her new partner and I are playing golf tomorrow. <laughs> so that I'm friends so with awesome. her new partner. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I just love stories so, like that. Now I want to share something. So why am I still single? In 2017, when she and I ended, she was actually gracious enough to gift me the Hoffman process. 
as my birthday gift, which is a very intensive, if you're familiar with it, intensive inner child workshop where I got to heal a lot of childhood wounds and, and my limiting patterns and my, my negative patterns and limiting beliefs. And then six months later, I lost my mother. Um, and then six months after that, I lost my 19 year old son. So I share this because I really have been rebuilding my life the last few years. And actually, the loss of my son helped me birth writing my second book called What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? I'll show a picture for you guys to see it. Oh, I like um, that cover. I yeah. Love you. I like that cover a lot. Yeah, it's really so, cool. And it really shifted my trajectory as how I approach dating and relationship coaching. And so I really feel like I've come back into a space of being healthy enough to be in a relationship after a lot of trauma and which includes not only my mother, but my father. I mean, a lot of stuff went on the last few years. Oh, trust me. I've, I've got lots of childhood trauma for my parents. <laughs> okay. Um, so sorry about your losses. It looks like it, um, has been, you know, a lot of work for what you've had to go through, but you look so light and bright and just, you know, excited. So you're doing the work, which is amazing. Um, so, what are some things that you did to kind of like come from that grieving process, like losing a child and a parent? I mean, I lost my dad. It was horrible. Um, yeah. Like, what are some things that you did to, you know, that you talk about in that book, the self, what is self-love anyways? So it's interesting because when I lost my mother, 88 years old, I mean, she lived a good life. You know, it's the natural of order of things. It was hard because I always told my parents, you're never allowed to die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say that to them even in my 50s. I go, you're not allowed to die. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the natural of order of things. When Connor passed away, it truly broke me open. And what happened was I realized I, I actually accepted his loss very quickly. And, and I believe it's because of all the personal development, self-help and spiritual work I've been doing since 2006 that prepared me for this. And I, and I say, self-love is a vaccination to emotional chaos. And now some people might think the word self-love is a little woo-woo or whatnot. So I'm just going to reframe it. Self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem, all those inner self-words I think is encapsulated in self-love. When I was at Connor's funeral and I'm giving the eulogy, I stopped and I said to his family or to his friends and fam my family and everyone, I said, look, we have a choice. Or I said, I have a choice. I can grieve through suffering or I can grieve through love. And it really, what I started to lean into was what does it really mean to love at a much deeper level? Because I know he wouldn't want me to suffer one moment in my life. So if I know that from him and that's what he'd want for me, then I can choose a different path of grieving. This was for me. I'm not saying this is for everyone. Everybody has their own experience and journey. But it truly helped propel me. I literally published this book nine months to the day after he passed because I was fueled by the idea of what does it mean to love both yourself and love humanity and everyone else or everyone else. I, mean. I feel like I right this now. this is important yeah. right now in the world. Yeah, it's very important in the world. Some of this love going around and being that can um, help anyone, the loving humanity and having faith in humanity. And when we're in such trying times right now, and I and I know a lot of people and yesterday was so tough for so many people, just the unknown, the anxiety, like 
uh, and like a lot of people we you know are probably engaging in some self-sabotaging behaviors just to like you know have some negative reinforcement right we're just like removing something aversive which is our world right now um what are some like healthier ways we can engage in these um self-care behaviors like sure so i think you know it's interesting because obviously we've had a big you know um is okay if I say the election? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that yeah, what you're right. talking about? Okay. So, well, I don't know when the podcast is going to be published, but um, it's it's interesting because I've witnessed one of the aspects of self love is what I call your own sovereignty. You know, in other words, you're self-contained. So the minute we create, or at least from my perspective, the minute we give our power outside to ourselves, we literally have set ourselves up for chaos. So the election, for example, if, if one is so hyper-focused on who wins and what's going to happen, you're literally giving yourself your power outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so while I'm all for recognizing humanity, it starts with self. And so one of the, in the beginning of my book, I, I, I use the analogy of the airplane when the flight attendant says, in the case of cabin pressure changes, oxygen mass will drop. And if you're traveling with a small child, put it on yourself first. It starts, self-love is really that oxygen of love because if you can't love yourself, how can you take care of anyone else around you? So literally the election is like giving your power away of hyper-focusing on what's happening out there redirect it for yourself because that's going to create inner peace at least in my perspective that is Beautiful. so true so 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 true i know Amazing. yesterday i was like um i'm like i'm gonna go run on the treadmill i'm gonna go for a walk outside i'm gonna do all the things that keep me busy dive into my work you know try to you know not look at that external stuff that's going on um and again understanding that no matter what, I don't have any control over it. <laughs> like, yeah. so, like, but do and, you and, realize also, Casey, actually, while this episode is being recorded for anyone listening, yeah. there's, it still has not been finalized, the election. So it's actually the same events going on, but it just shows how the mind also has that power. Because you're talking about it right now as if it's past tense. You're obviously true. just feeling better today. But it yeah. is actually the same thing going on, but it just shows that <laughs> That so, self-talk we have for ourselves as well. So I want to touch on something Casey said, because the idea of control, and I'm going to use my son in this analogy, you know, as a parent and any parent heard what I just shared, I'm sure it, it touches them deeply, is that I spent 19 years worrying about my son, both my boys. In other words, I spent 19 years. Are they going to drown in the pool? Is this going to happen? All the th all the things that go wrong. And I created unnecessary chaos or suffering in my life. Right. So what I experienced in one day, every worry I had happened. OK. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I'm not discounting it, but like as if I could have changed it. You know, this was the trajectory he was on for the most part. So rather than trying to be in control, how about navigating our own emotions and putting our energy towards our own emotions instead of the external world? That's my invitation. That's what I talk about in the book. How can we navigate our own emotions so the external world doesn't have to create chaos and suffering? I think my favorite quote ever is, Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> I love I, that. I love I that. I have to tell myself that all the time because I'm a warrior and I, you know, I my mind goes to the absolute, you know, 
worst case scenario immediately. And it's something that I've been practicing too, of being like, okay, take a deep breath, bring it back to the present moment. Why do I think that it would be like that? Those are just, you know, the limiting beliefs that I'm you know, telling myself they're not actually real because nothing has actually happened yet. So, well, have um, you heard the phrase pain is inevitable, suffering is optional? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like the same thing. So, that's so interesting. Uh, and by the way, everyone listening, look at, I want to say this is easier said than done. This mm-hmm. takes a tremendous amount of awareness on my part to get to this place. It did, it, it, this was a, over a 15 year experience for me to be in a place where I could accept the loss of my child in the space that I'm in right now. And actually, because 15 years ago, I went through great, I actually went through even more trauma when I lost my quarter million dollar a year job, I got wiped out in the market crash of 2008 and I went through a divorce. I was in hell for almost five years and I know what that experience feels like. To climb out of it took, it took personal development, self-help and spiritual work to get to a place where I'm at today. And you know, you get all of those things that you talk about, they all involve like overt behaviors that you need to consciously engage in to get there. Like you see those behaviors that you have to do. And it's a lot, like you say, like I can tact, we talk about tacting and, you know, applied behavior analysis as labeling something. So I could label, yeah, Casey, if you get up and you work out and you eat healthy and you, you know, don't drink alcohol and you blah, 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 all these things. But they're, again, then you need to now set up some kind of self-monitoring system to make sure that you're holding yourself accountable. And that's yeah. where the work comes in. Uh, I One of my favorite books is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. My therapist and, just recommended that to me. <laughs> and, and, and why I share this with your audience is, to me, it's a great experience to learn how to talk to the voices in your head. Because one of the things I've observed as a dating and relationship coach is the number one emotional health issue facing everybody is, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not likable. Like at a a core level, that's what Mm -hmm. they may not think of it from a conscious perspective, but I suspect their subconscious is screaming that on some level. So the antidote to that is doing the work so you can find what I believe is inner peace in oneself. Because when you operate from an inner peace, it's not about highs and lows. It's it's, It's about navigating life with a sense of a little bit of bliss. And that's the way I approach it. So this book is a great book to get there is what I'm saying. We'll definitely put it in the show notes for everyone. I got some questions along the dating lines over here. Yeah, I love dating. I I mean, I'm married, but, and I know I did not necessarily love dating. No, no, I mean the topic, the topic. Yeah, the topic of dating is very effortful (laughs) and but I got to say, I am a great texter. If anyone ever needs help texting with someone, um, <laughs> like initial dating, like I, I'm very good at closing the date. I would help a lot of my guy friends. But <laughs> I want to know, over this year that you were speaking to 100 different people, what was the common themes that you saw, you know, as to what a lot of women were seeing as, you know, I don't know why this is not working for me. Um, a lot of, like, what were some common themes that came Sure, sure. a lot. So, I, well, it's interesting because as a dating relationship coach, it's literally how I built my practice. Is so a couple things. Um, one is I. It's even though women don't believe this, I think they operate from a pre- premise of they're at the forty thousand foot level in relationship. In other words, the clouds. 
In other words, it's a fantasy based based on Disney and Hollywood movies. Now, why I say this is every woman says, oh, I know what I want. I know what I want. I know what I want. Well, it's interesting because in my coaching program, they have to, they, before they start with me, they describe their ideal relationship. Then they go through my proprietary program I created. And I say, now you get to rewrite it. And they all say the same thing. Why didn't I learn this in high school? Why didn't I learn this years ago? Why didn't someone tell me this 10 years ago? Or why didn't my parents tell me this? First, I think that's one premise. The other premise is women oftentimes, I like what Alison Armstrong says. She expects men to be hairy versions of themselves. In other words, that men think and operate the way women do, especially in the emotional arena. Mm -hmm. And this is where I help women educate them on understanding why men, see, there's this, this, there's this belief that men are emotionally unavailable. I don't believe in it. I think everyone is capable of being, you know, to tapping into their emotions. I just think men tend to be less skilled. Now, that's not to say women are better skilled. They just happen to, for, and please, no disrespect to your audience, is yeah. they just happen to vomit their emotions way more than <laughs> men. So they just, they see it from a different premise. So, um, so I think that's one of the things. Also, there's this traditional expectation, especially I operate coaching at midlife, that men lead the dating process. And I'm here to say to women, you're giving the job to the wrong person. <laughs> why is the number one search term for women, why men pull away and why men are commitment phobic? Why would you want to give the job to commitment phobic people <laughs> of leading the relationship? Ladies, you are in charge of your relationship, Destiny. You are the leaders of the emotional aspects of the relationship. Mm -hmm. No man ever got to his heart through another man. He got there through a woman. And yeah. it's a woman that's going to get a guy to his heart, not, you know, and yeah. it's that understanding. So they have this grand expectation because they're seeking that, that premier guy. And I always say most men are good people. They're just bad daters. Just like you were sharing, Leah, you know, you could help close the deal for a lot of guys. It's not that they're bad guys. They're just not good at the process. <laughs> I know. I literally was like shocked. I'm like, how hard is it to get someone to go out with you? Like, what is the, what's the problem here? And I mean, I'm very into that also. I would see a lot of my friends. I mean, Ellie Ren always says, I was the only girl on the dating app that messaged him and said, new, which is like Jewish for like, come on. Like, when did you plan on asking me out? Because I think so many people are waiting to be pursued. And, and you're right. Men and, women alike. men and women alike. This isn't singular. You know, you know, men want to be pursued as well because we want to feel validated and appreciated just as much as women do. Um, you know, you know, certainly James Bond knows how to pursue women, but you know what? He's a short-lived relationship for every woman. You know, the alpha guy isn't always the best relationship. <laughs> Yes. What do you think about, and I don't know if you've read it or not, but I know Leah loves it. What do you think of the book, Why Men Love Bitches? Actually, it's interesting. I brought that up on a video I shot a few days ago. Uh, I reframed the term bitch to be babe in total control of herself. I babe. love that. So what I, I, I think what the premise of the book is that it's that self-confidence and, you know, we can call it a bitch, but it's that, look, I'm in, I am, I'm a sovereign human being. Mm -hmm. I know my worth. Okay. It's by the way, bitch is maybe over 
it might turn into entitlement, but that's, I don't believe that's- They the do describe it in the book. They operationally define it as like a woman who like holds her own, who's a yeah. powerful woman. I mean, and also the same way that the same type of bitch we used for behavior bitches. Yes. Same thing. Badass yeah. bitch. Yeah. Empowering it, women, yeah. But it's not condescending, controlling. What's the four horsemen that uh, John Gottman talks about? Uh, contempt, uh, criticism, stonewalling, and defensiveness. You know, mm -hmm. it's not those behaviors that we might perceive as a bitch. It's really that self-empowerment, whether man or woman. At least my invitation is lean into that. It's a powerful thing to be able to have that. But again, yeah. it all starts from loving yourself and believing in yourself so that you can put that out there to the universe to find someone else who is also so, at that level. So one thing I've observed, though, and I would love your take on this, is we have been so conditioned to, I need you to love me for me to feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to repeat that. I need you to love me for me to feel good about myself. So literally giving our power away to another human being sets men and women up for failure. And women do this habitually. It's literally, is they if they're not on some level, I'm observing this. If they're not constantly validated by from the guy, that you know, all chaos breaks loose. And I know that's anxious attachment style and behavior, but it's like, look, you don't need someone to love you for you to feel good about yourself. And that's mm -hmm. what a bitch does. And she goes, I don't need that from you. I'm here to contribute to a relationship from a co-creative perspective and not from an expectation-based perspective. What you are saying is 100% right. And if I could get on a podium and talk about anything, it probably would be this, is <laughs> the idea that I see, and I think this might be a very, I mean, I always assign myself as like the dating chair, the breakup chair for anyone going through anything. Uh, you're totally right that everyone's waiting for someone to love them and see it in them before they see it in themselves. But one of my life hacks that I really believe in and just on based on what I've been through and um, it's all about what you see yourself as other people believe. So when you are presenting, it's like, I'm not sure. So what you think of me is like going to help me determine what I think of myself. Like, I mean, I felt this way. I, I think I had parents that raised me with a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence. I mean, my sister literally has like one eyebrow, like the thickest eyebrows you've ever seen in it, like is one. And she's <laughs> like Frida Kahlo. <laughs> literally. And I she, thought you meant she only had one eyebrow. No, I mean one, but like she has to divide it in two to make it two. Um, <laughs> but they raised us so confident. But one of the things is, you know, when I, I guess when I was 26, ever like I had a thing where I lost three fingertips. Um, I know everyone who listens, like Liat, shut up, we've heard it. But I remember being like, oh my God, who's going to want to date me? I was single at the time. I'm like missing these fingers. This is so gross. Someone's going to think there's fingers missing in the food that I cook. There's this. This is so gross. Like it looks like like something's wrong with her. And I used to like be like, I don't want to push the credit card machine at the store. They're going to notice it. And then, and, and I have to say, I do think some of the confidence I did get, I can't act like I'm oh, this is so easy. I'm just this empowered woman. I didn't give a shit. Of course I care. It took away from my beauty I felt of things like this. But then I re remember like having this realization one day and it was like, what you present, other people are going to believe. So it's like, yeah. I'm either this sick person with these missing fingers who has lupus and like my health is whatever it is, 
or I'm a badass bitch. I lost three fingers, but I'm, I've used it to my advantage to sell a story and the idea that you could do anything and people believe it. Mm -hmm. So I do think that in dating, it does come across a lot. You talk about self-esteem, all these different things, but a lot of people are waiting on the other person to give them that validation where it's like, I don't give Ellie Ron, like my husband a choice of like, you're going to think I'm cool or not. Like I'm letting you know, I have these rashes all over, but I'm like really cool. Have you seen all the things I do? Like, have <laughs> you seen like what I started? Have you seen this? Like, and someone's going to believe it. And I think that it's, it's, it's not about being cocky, but I think I see so many people being like, he didn't message me back when I wrote this. So I don't want to say anything. Cause I don't want to seem annoying. Like if you go in with the attitude messaging someone and you're like, I'll just ask another question because I genuinely have a question, not because what he's going to think of me. I think that I want to jump in on this one. No, please go, go. I, so, I get uh, very passionate your, about your it. Your audience can't see this, but there's a picture of my mother and father uh, behind me. And, and back mm -hmm. when they're 20s, very, you know, uh, Camelot looking kind of couple. My mother was 300 pounds by the time I think after I was born. And what was interesting about my mother, and I'm also going to piggyback another part to this, is my mother at first probably had a lot of depression that caused her to eat a lot, like, you know, to become that. And by the way, she had several miscarriages before I was born. So there were some reasons for it. But what was fascinating about my mother is she could walk into the room and she acted like she was the most beautiful woman there. And I asked my father back when he was in his 70s, I said, Dad, like, and my dad, like George Clooney, or let's say Sean Connery, handsome, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, really handsome guy. I mean, even like, he's 95 and he's still like, women check him out. Um, I said, why didn't you cheat on mom? And he goes, you know what? The way she has confidence in herself, I always see her like the woman I met. Like, it was because she exuded that inside of her. So what's interesting is, now I told you about my son who passed away. My son had this ability, and it's one of the chapters in my book. He had the ability to, I, the chapter is called, Don't Anyone Fuck With Your Chi. Because my son, just like my mother, had that capacity where I don't care what you think about me. What I care most is what I think about me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to invite people to do. And that's why this work that you're doing, this, this podcast you put out, and personal development, self-help, and spiritual work, prepare someone to get into that space. And while you don't have to be there 100%, like this whole idea, you have to love yourself fully to love another. No, just begin loving yourself. Do the practice of it every day. Because when you meet another person in your, your mirror and someone else, you're going to do it together. You don't have to be fully, oh my God, I love myself. Ah, and now I can find someone. But I think I also need to add a note to that. I want to add one note because yeah. I, I got to keep it real on here. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's annoying when a lot of people are like, you just love yourself. You don't give a shit about this. Like, yeah, fuck him, whatever it is. I'm going to be honest. Like, I, I would consider myself a very confident girl. But it does help having someone else there for you. So I don't want someone thinking that it's like, so easy, like whether I was single, this or that, I'd be like equally as happy. So I just want to add in, I have a love for myself where it starts, right? And I just, I don't want it to seem like, because I do think that that is also the wrong impression that is given out to a lot of people of like, why do you even need someone? You know what? It is nice to share your life with. We are yes. social creatures. 
yeah. um, along those lines. So I just want to add that in just, just so you guys know, I'm not like totally perfect. Just kind of <laughs> minus three fingers. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to me. So most relationships today, um, they do basically the bare minimum to get companionship, connection, and sex. They do the bare minimum to keep the relationship going. I like the way Esther Perel calls it stable ambiguity. I don't know if you're familiar with what she talks about. It's called stable. In other words, it's doing the bare minimum to keep the relationship going. And that's what I'm seeing as a dating and relationship coach is so many people are in basically casual relationships without any putting any effort into the relationship or themselves, like what you were just sharing. And so this is one of the reasons why relationships can be incredibly dysfunctional. Because they're, I look at a relationship as a separate entity, as a separate entity. There's a you, there's a me, and then there's a we. And the we needs nurturing just like the individual needs nurturing. It's so true. You have to be, compl I think that's also another thing. I, I've been to a lot of therapy in my life, let me tell you. <laughs> I, I could <laughs> quote Who's a few done things more, here. You there. or Casey? What? Who's done more? You or Casey? I've, I don't know. But she lot, probably but... needed it more. She probably <laughs> needed it more, but I did more. <laughs> I was kind of sensing that between the two of you. <laughs> well, it's funny. The the one that needs it more get, would be the one to probably get it less, right? Like <laughs> exactly. I go to like three sessions, and I'm like, I'm fine. I'm healed from my emotional traumatic childhood yeah. of like drug abuse and crack and heroin of my family. It's like. I'm cool. <laughs> I know I make her go. That's the difference between us. Yeah. So I have some questions for you. I know you're working more on midlife dating. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think I could talk a little bit more to millennial dating or gen. Uh, what am I? Am I millennial? Yeah, I think. I don't know. Um, dating and a lot of things have changed, I, I would say, from and I'm sure you have seen both, right? Like you yeah. have been in when a guy would literally go pick up a girl out of their door, maybe bring them flowers, greet the parents. Now it's like, hey, Biatch, want to meet here? Netflix and chill my house? Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's 3 a.m. You available? You know, so it's changed a lot. Yeah. And there's, there's all new things such as ghosting and... <laughs> um, you know, all these different things. Like we were, we were so in love. We were talking for two full days on the app. What happened? <laughs> Are, do you think there's some way that modern dating could, how we could bring back any of these values of finding someone that, you know, could really possibly be our, I don't know if they're soulmates here, if that's too mentalistic for behavior bitches, but yeah. you know, someone that would really make us happy. I, Something that, or do you think there's something, anything that's lost in today's day and age of dating? You know, we could do two podcasts on just what you asked here. So I, I'm going to give you I kind of a loaded quick... questions. I asked loaded okay. questions. Well, here's like the first minutes. up. When we look back to traditional, we have to remember that we mostly lived in villages back before, you know, the 19, well, towns before the 1950s and prior to that villages. So a lot of your needs were met from the entire community. So here in the United States, we have been so conditioned to be individualized, get the heck out of the house when you're 18 and go figure out your life. So right off the bat, we're set up for failure. 
because we don't have our community supporting us. That's number one. Number two, you're not meeting someone who's in your community. In other words, you share the same values, you have proximity involved. And what I mean by proximity is like you could go, hey, do you want to get together for a drink? And it's like you only had to walk a block, you know, yeah. versus now we have we don't have proximity anymore. So these and proximity helps create familiarity. So one of the challenges is building familiarity with another human being. OK, and in this digital world, we're doing it with our thumbs and people weren't designed to communicate with their thumbs let alone interact with another human being with their thumbs. So that's one of the challenges we're dealing with, especially because, look, at I live in a condo complex with 600 condos. I don't know any of my neighbors. I mean, that's pathetic on me. But mm -hmm. I look at I literally, there could be the love of my life around the corner, and I wouldn't even know it because mm -hmm. we're so, well, especially with COVID, we're all kind of like hunkered down anyway. Um, so that's where the challenges lie. But here's where... I look at it. Every experience, good or bad, with another human being is an opportunity to love yourself. Every bad experience, every all this dating chaos that's happening is really an opportunity for you to love yourself. But most people are so hyper-focused on what's wrong instead of the gifts that keep happening to us every day. And and, and sometimes there's shitty things that happen. You know, you get ghosted or a guy pulls away or whatever happens. But again, it's another opportunity to love yourself. That's the way I look at the world. And it seems to get me by pretty well these days. <laughs> or get a free dinner. You know, I literally yeah. saw the entire oh. Washington, D.C. on dates. I would be like, okay, let's go to this place with new dates. And they take me here and then here. I ate my way through D.C. on someone else's dime. So that was Yeah, fine. and by the way, how how nice of you to do that to me. <laughs> yeah. You know what? <laughs> He's giving us a finger. I, love I know. It. I love it. Because Wait, that's bullshit. By the way, for all I'm, I'm your little posse who have stood up, my friends, ghosted them, yeah. been a dick, um, made them feel oh, like, like shit. women can't be a can't be a pain in the ass and be inconsiderate and using and all that stuff. It's by the way, I don't like that men get a bad rap. Mm -hmm. You know, by the way, men are, there are plenty of asshole men, just like there's plenty of asshole women out there. This is not singular to guys, but you know what? I'm going to share a story about paying and I'll never forget. I had a first date with a woman and, um, as a matter of fact, we went out on Halloween to a dive. Bar. We got dressed up and went to a dive bar and I went and bought our first round of drinks. And when it was time to get another round, I, I decided to get my credit card and she she grabs it and goes, I've got it. And I go, no, no, I've got it. She goes, I've got it. And I go, I've got it. We got into a little power struggle, but this is what she did. She put her hand on my arm and said, Jonathan, I really appreciated you treated the last round. Would you allow me to show my appreciation and treat the next round? And I was floored. She said, I hope you, you married her. I hope you well, married her. By the way, I, I wanted to, but uh, it didn't work out. Um, <laughs> I mean, I really liked her a lot because in that moment, she demonstrated partnership. And why I'm sharing this with your audience, I posted this in a men's group I belong to, 15,000 men. Over a thousand guys responded. She's one of a kind. She's a unicorn. She's a keeper. Because what she did is demonstrate partnership skills. And why I'm saying this, why this is so important is when we begin from the very first date to act like a partner, 
and not selfishly, you know, getting free meals, then you're actually creating a greater chance for success. That's I'm not saying you have if you look at if your if your if your philosophy is I expect men to do things for me, then go for it. But if you want to create partnership, start on the very first date. But listen, don't worry. I I I feel like I provide very well now out of the two of us <laughs> in my actual relationship. I was a broke college student. If one of them would have been great, great. You know, if it led to something more awesome. But if not, dinner the point dinner does is, not pay. But for I think up. but you get my point though. You yes, get my yes. point. This isn't and Absolutely. I wasn't singular you out. I'm just saying for everyone listening, this is mm -hmm. one of the challenges in relationships is a friend of mine says expectations is the mother of disaster and desperation is her twin sister. You know, when we come to expect something from another human being, we're always going to set ourselves up for failure. Yep. Always. Never expect and you'll never get let down. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean not to have standards, though. Right. There's a big difference having your and I love the way Brene Brown talks about boundaries is what's OK and what's not OK for me. And a standard says this is how I operate my life. Feel free to tell me how you operate in your life and let's see if we're simpatico. I have one more thing I want to talk to you about quickly, um, sure. which we talked about a little bit on the pre-call. But um, what was your takeaway of um, love on the spectrum? Because, you know, we. Oh, you know my gosh. So, yeah, <laughs> I remember we had this chat. Yeah. I started crying within the first five minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one guy that starts off the episode, I loved. Michael. Michael. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Michael. My was dad the, talks like Michael yeah. all the time. Yeah, I, I loved him because he, first off, he operated with no filter. In other words, his ego wasn't wasn't ruling his life. He was operating from a genuine place, and he was also excited. You could just feel the genuine excitement he had. And then when you saw his parents enter the room and you saw everyone's parents, how loving they were to their children, that's really what made me cry is the parents. Mm -hmm. um, what I appreciate about the episode was, A, they were just operating without filter. In other words, they were just operating I love from their it. How self. amazing. Yeah. And, and by the way, if they didn't like you, he goes, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to see you again. Bye. It's like, <laughs> there's no doubt. I because love it. I, and, and you're like genuinely shocked. You're like, yeah. usually I'd be like, yeah, oh man, he didn't call me back. It's like, I have, I don't actually, have the balls I prefer, to tell a I prefer woman I'm not we didn't see back. each other again. I'd prefer not to, but thanks. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It yeah. really is. It's just like, huh, like, you know, they do have like a lot of struggles and the show was beautifully yeah. to capture that. But to be able to just have that, like, you know what I would go all this private verbal behavior, like, Oh my God, I think all these horrible things about myself and all this stuff. But like, they're just like, Nope, no, thank you. I'm all set. Good. Good day. <laughs> like, it's and over. they actually, they actually, now, obviously these are very high functioning, you know, um, autistic, uh, and, and do they still call it Asperger's by the way? <laughs> now they just say you're on the spectrum. Okay. On the spectrum. I mean, these were high functioning and surely I'm sure there are people that are just incapable. Um, but what I what it what I liked about it most was look at I don't know how many people are bitching and complaining about dating a relationship, but if if people on the spectrum can find love, then maybe there's some lessons to be learned from this show that every human being should might want to watch and consider on how to operate differently. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I love that perspective that you took on that. Especially because you're like that dating your whole thing and you can go and just kind of like also just have a, a like a secret into 
you know, this population. And, yeah. you know. And by really the way, cool. did you notice that chemistry was actually still, even though their ego wasn't there, chemistry was still, energetic chemistry was still kind of the deciding factor. Mm -hmm. Are we experiencing not attraction? In other words, it wasn't based on physical attraction. It was based on, am I really connecting with this other person? And that's really what I invite my clients to pay attention to. Are you connecting with this other person or are you hyper-focused on attraction and all the physical aspects of a relationship versus the core aspects of connecting with another human being? I love it. I love it. Jonathan, oh, you humans. are awesome. Oh, humans, you complex creatures. We are so complex. We make things well, so see, much harder. <laughs> well, you know what? And I want to end, I want to say this really quickly. I think one of the challenges in dating is the divide between men and women. It's like Democrat and Republican. It's all this. It's let's, let's just bring it back to, we are all here to, you know, we're on the same planet. We're all in it together and we are human beings. And when we take the gender out of the equation, let's focus on the heart and not the expectations of what the other genders, and, and that's true for you know heterosexual or homo, you know uh, you know gay and, and lesbian relationships. Yeah. Is let's focus on the human being and not the gender. I don't know if you watch Shit's Creek. Do you watch Shit's Creek? No, I haven't watched oh, it yet. You have to, but it's so incredibly beautiful. Around one of the lines that David says is. Um, it's, I don't so much love the wine or no, I don't like the label. I like the wine and I, I got to get this right. It's something like, it doesn't matter the label. Like, it's just like the type of wine he's trying to describe. His you mean like two buck Chuck? <laughs> yeah, I love, love a good two buck Chuck, but it's just like, yeah, it's okay to love whoever, right? Love anyone. And it's all good. And at the end of the day, we're all humans. Um, yep. It's just a beautiful message. So Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I, I love the work you two are doing. When we talked, Casey, I was like, oh my God, you guys have got it so right. So for those <laughs> listening to this podcast, you're in the right place. And you also, in all your books, I'm going to link in our show notes. So make sure you guys okay. go check that out um, and just keep doing awesome shit and Aww. spreading love and joy. We need more people like you in the world. Thank you so much. Well, I have a podcast called the What Would Love Do podcast. So you can see I'm even promoting love in a way that I think if we shift to love, we're going to have better experiences. Thank you so much, both of you. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Jonathan. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Guys, you know where to find us. You could find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast, or BehaviorBitches.com. And as always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio 
all you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 